Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk all things cloud, including AWS, Google, and Azure. This is episode number two, recorded on December 18th, 2018. Larry says no normal person would listen to this podcast. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. So uh, I sent you guys off with some homework last week around the Now Go Build segment from Amazon's Warner Vogels. What did you guys, you guys have a chance to watch that? Did you, what do you think? I did, and it's fresh in my head because I like to do everything at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, we never said you weren't a procrastinator. <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you, it was really well produced. It was actually really enjoyable to watch. I watch it twice now. So I watched it during reInvent uh, after they announced it while I was getting ready on Thursday morning. And then I watched it again last night with my wife. So I actually have some candid feedback from my wife about it too. I'm kind of curious to see where they're going to take the whole series. But I thought it was really good. It was really good use case for blockchain. I, I definitely like this mixture of real life, interesting story that we're talking about. But then we're going to tie this technology bend into it that kind of gives you this interesting perspective, which is kind of where the cooking segments used to kind of come into an Anthony Bourdain type show. I am curious as well where they go from here. I think Jakarta was a really great starting place. You know, he is kind of an interesting choices of outfits <laughs> through the through the episode. I, there's one shirt that I think is a crime against humanity in some ways, <laughs> but uh, you know, overall it's interesting. And my wife couldn't get past his bracelets. He was wearing a, oh, a Fitbit yeah, and then the like a scarf thing. and like a bunch of uh, a bunch of bracelets. It's so interesting to have my wife there because she's not technical. And, you know, she was really into it for the first about 10 minutes. She was like, you know, she's really into the story about, you know, rice production, Jakarta, you know, and then she she was sort of intrigued by some of the descriptions and infographics they used to describe what blockchain was. You know, her, her opinion was that the infographics, why they are helpful, they're not really very descriptive. And, and that, you know, anytime they went to the whiteboard or, you know, they were really explaining some of the basics, you know, she kind of lost interest in it. But she's like, I'd watch this again with you. Episode two comes out. So maybe we'll... Uh, We'll recap them whenever they come out. And, and they haven't really announced the schedule for when they're going to come out or how often. I think it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have to imagine, though, this is going to be watched by technology people almost exclusively. I'm, I am not a chef. I, I love No Reservations, but I couldn't imagine someone who wasn't in this industry watching this show on a regular basis. I like the length of the episode. Nice and short and tight. I wasn't bored with too many extra details. The most interesting thing for me is that I, I realized after watching that show that AWS outposts uh, are not built for your private data center. I mean, sure, they'll, they'll sell them to anybody, but I really feel like posts, especially with the low power ARM chips they're deploying now, are going to be for regional, you know, many multi-regional data centers in places like Jakarta. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting take, you know, because if you think about it, it, it really is an Amazon data center in a box or in a rack. And if you could rapidly drop in that setup into multiple areas, you could kind of create little mini clouds all over the country or all over the world that you know, you maybe wouldn't do a full build out for, but, you know, if you have the right partner or the right company in that region that wants to do this, maybe that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, some great potential there. Actually, I've got a regional uh, co-location provider who uses the caves. I think they dig some sandstone out of the ground and they were left with all these caves and they're selling data center space in the Midwest. Well, they're actually putting data centers in the cave. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The cheaper to cool. No, I guess Microsoft are building them into submarines and sinking them in the ocean. I guess building in the cave is slightly easier. They're, they're above sea level, above ground. They're extremely dry, which is good. If you can get natural cooling, you can get a really cheap power. Why not? Yeah, totally. There's actually a lot of really cool data centers. I toured one in Amsterdam that was in a missile silo. There's definitely some unique data centers in the world. I don't know how uh, you know which data center tier they fall into, but they are definitely unique. I think that wraps up follow-up this week. Let's jump over to talk about what's in the news. Let's start with Amazon. So 
you know, we are kind of heading into the holiday season, so things are a little bit lighter than they are the rest of the year. But they did announce an ECS container roadmap, and they put this publicly out on GitHub, and they basically are telling customers what they are working on, uh, what they may be working on soon, and what they don't have any current plans for right now, but have at least considered. So that's kind of interesting because Amazon in particular is very, very quiet about their roadmap, uh, unless you are one of the select few who has enterprise agreements who can have these conversations with product managers. So for them to be open to this level of transparency is kind of refreshing. So I guess they're not accepting feature requests. Yeah, it definitely feels a little experimental right now. <laughs> they don't have a workflow. They don't have some governance around what's there. There's 56 issues as of recording today that people have written you know, for asking for new things. So there's definitely a, a pent-up demand. And it'd be interesting to see if we can start by plus one-ing these or adding tags if we can get priority on something. Yeah, and then it comes down to the uh, how much of their real roadmap are they interested in sharing. I think it's a super cool idea because the bulk of the work we do is custom engineering features that don't exist yet. Yeah, nothing more frustrating than spending tons of time and money on engineering a fix for a missing feature and have that feature released three weeks after you go live with your custom stuff that you now either have to migrate off of or continue to manage on your own. You know, when you build those services and then Amazon releases the same service three weeks later, if you hadn't built the service though, would they have released the feature? Yeah. That's the question. <laughs> yeah, it's like I always bring an umbrella just to ensure it never rains. Is there anything in the uh, the roadmap that you guys thought was interesting or uh, you know surprising? I, I, I know my initial reaction at it was was that there wasn't much here. I'm happy to see that they're finally adding more CloudWatch events. I think a lot of these features, I'm sure, are game changers for certain companies. Speaking of AWS, stay up to date with the latest AWS news every Monday morning with the Last Week in AWS newsletter. Corey Quinn gathers the news from AWS, strips out the stuff that nobody cares about, and makes fun of what's left. Subscribe today at lastweekinaws.com. Snark delivered to your inbox. Less fog, more clouds. Moving on to Google Compute. So they announced Google Cloud Next uh, for next year, coming out April 9th through 11th at Moscone Center in San Francisco. Have you been to Google Cloud Next? I have not. I went a couple of years ago and last year, I believe. They, they uh, I think they did a good job with the the venue. And you know, I guess this is uh, this happens with newer platforms, but there's a lot of basics and a lot of marketing that goes on. On the plus side, their snacks were awesome. Did they have coffee? Oh yeah! Oh my god! I was so missing the coffee from reInvent this year. Almost pivot to Google Cloud just for the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I think I might want to go to it this year. I, uh, especially now with the podcast and all that, and us kind of being more involved in some of this, I, I definitely think it's something on my radar that I'd like to go and, and kind of check it out. At least see the see the spectacle that Google can put on, and, and see how it compares to things like uh, Salesforce's conference and, and reInvent. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of momentum in the Google Cloud space. So I, I, you know, I'm sure it's a conference that's also growing. And how much is it? It's a, it's like a thousand bucks, I think, for early bird, and it ratchets up to like last minute for like 2000 bucks. Ouch. Yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> Well, this this doesn't help you on your procrastination, Jonathan. So, uh. if you do it now, it's only 1000. <laughs> but if you do it in the new year, you're totally screwed. Guarantee you. I I end up going and I end up paying $2000. Well, we already we already talked about yep. your procrastination problems. So, it, it makes perfect sense to me if that is the that is the case. They also released Security Command Center, uh, which is an interesting security-related release. It looks very similar to uh, a couple different features from some of the other cloud providers. Security Insights being very similar to Guard Duty. It looked like it had some ability to do vulnerability scanning, integrations with Chef and Redlock and Cavern, uh, all there. Quite a bit of uh, technology under the hood of this one. 
Yeah, I mean, it seems like, yeah, right on the heels of some of the Amazon announcements. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that these other guys are obviously, you know, GCP and Azure are obviously going to be playing catch up on feature set. I guess it's kind of nice for them in that, you know, Amazon does the hard work and figures out what the customers want. And um, the ones that uh, that get popular or make it real easy for them to develop their roadmaps. I didn't feel like I was seeing any differentiators there. Yeah, it definitely feels a lot like a me too. You know, hey, we can do this thing. Security Center, uh, you know, is very similar to this. They have DLP capability like Macy has. They have scanning like uh, Inspector. So it definitely feels like, you know, kind of a natural evolution of their tooling. I guess it just goes to show that these are the things that are on people's minds. These are the blockers stopping people from migrating to, the, to whichever cloud. Exactly. So it's not, yeah. su- not surprising to see that these, these are all common features rolling out across all the providers. Speaking of Google Cloud, when I think of security and the cloud, I think of Foghorn Consulting. Foghorn has been around since 2008. They have been on the forefront of cloud enablement and have been delivering powerful transformations for hundreds of clients from startups to Fortune 500, including highly regulated industries. They were early visionaries and practitioners of using code to automate infrastructure and operations to drive up cloud efficiencies while driving down your costs. Terraform, Ansible, Jenkins, AWS, Azure, and GCP Go to fogops.io slash thecloudpod to learn more about their FogOps services and Fog Source code libraries. Yeah, it's interesting because it kind of leads you into, you know, how much innovation still needs to occur in the space. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week about primitives and, you know, Amazon used to release just primitives and now they're releasing solution sets. And and if that's where you have to play in the space to be successful, can you shortcut Amazon or Google by just releasing solutions and it's interesting to see how that's starting to take effect in the marketplace. Yeah, but isn't it kind of the opposite, right? Because Amazon started with primitives and Google and uh, Microsoft started with the PaaS, just going right to the end game. And nobody wanted the PaaS and everybody wanted the primitives. And now they're they're rebooting and, and creating all the primitives and Amazon's moving up the stack. Yeah, it is really interesting. I remember early days of Google Compute, people trying to use it and saying, you know, oh, my query got automatically killed after 10 seconds and couldn't just have a data insert because the DOM object was too big and all limitations. And very interesting because it, it was definitely a very early day past solution that you now see in other solutions, but the way they'd implemented it was just too revolutionary at the time and the market had to kind of catch yeah. up. Yep, it's all about timing. Moving right along to uh, our friends up north in Redmond with Azure. They have a couple interesting announcements. They announced a fintech startup has pivoted over to Cosmos, uh, Cosmos being their DynamoDB type competitor. Uh, And this is the fintech is a clear trend research. Uh, I don't exactly know what they do. I was reading about ClearTrend earlier. They are a financial forecasting company, and they'll they'll hook into your 401k or other any other kind of investments and um, and make correct help you make corrections. You know they'll warn you of changes in the market so you can make corrections. Just last week or a couple of weeks ago, at Reinvent, they announced the Amazon Forecast Service, which basically does the same thing. This will be my first case study that I've seen on using that platform. So I don't hear a lot of customers clamoring and excited about it, but I guess you need one, right? You need a need a solid NoSQL database on, uh, in your ecosystem. Curious to see some comparisons. I haven't seen any comparisons in this space at all, actually. I don't know if you have. You know, most of the comparisons I've seen from a performance thing are typically like MySQL, Postgres related, you know, comparing on-premise infrastructure to cloud infrastructure. I think I've seen a little bit of Aurora test bench stuff that I've seen published out by some Amazon people in the past, but nothing that I would consider to be revolutionary or really comparing at the detail. And the SQL bench and the tooling that they use for that is interesting, but uh, yeah, I don't even know if there's a good NoSQL comparison engine because of uh, the way that Every NoSQL vendor kind of attacks the problem. You know, Mongo is very document-oriented. Other solutions are very column in our database. 
Cosmos and Dynamo are very key value pair. It's a little bit harder to come up with a standard benchmarking to compare them to apples to apples. And so maybe that's the reason why you haven't really seen a lot of that type of testing. Yeah, maybe I should do it. <laughs> Instead of complaining, it's not out there. Looking through the press release and kind of like the six reasons to choose Cosmos that they put out here, you know, schema design is much easier and flexible. Well, I mean, I, Dynamo covers you there. Uh, database reads and writes are really fast. Great. <laughs> 10 millisecond reads and writes, uh, apparently backed with a service level agreement, which, you know, you don't always get those from Amazon right away. Indexing, cost effectiveness, programming, resizing capacity for workloads. I mean, nothing Nothing here seems like a big differentiator that would make me choose Cosmos over Dynamo or over an, a Google product. It, it does definitely feel like this is a problem that they had. They went to Azure as their platform of choice and said, hey, we have this thing. We have a need and we need help. And this is what they kind of picked yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, so I wonder, who the, I wonder who the competitor was in this. I mean, the competitor sounds like it was SQL Server. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I was just popping onto LinkedIn and it looks like they have two employees listed on LinkedIn. So I don't know how massive their scale is yet. Here we are going to move to kind of our other category here. And this is you know where we're kind of fitting in anything that's kind of cloud related and where we might talk about some Oracle things uh, as they come up that are interesting. But the first one I want to really hit on is uh, Confluent. So on Friday last week, uh, they announced that they were changing their licensing terms to prevent the hyperscalers, which in this case would be uh, Google, Azure, and Amazon, from being able to compete directly with them. Uh, and they did this by moving from the Apache 2.0 license uh, to a Confluent community license. And this is really around preventing services like Manage Kafka and things from being able to use several of the features that they had previously announced as open source, things like KSQL, the REST proxy, the Confluent connectors, uh, and the schema registry. And this doesn't really touch the enterprise features, which are really the things you would pay for, like Replicator and Control Center. But it does definitely talk to a bigger trend we're seeing in the space. And so, you know, Kafka and Confluent being, you know, one of three or four in the last month or so who've really changed their licensing model to really protect themselves from what they see as a threat from the big players like Amazon. So it, it kind of raises some interesting questions. And, and you know, what is the responsibility for the hyperscalers to commit to these projects? Should they be supporting open source in a bigger way? Um, and really, you know, kind of driving the direction for these projects. And, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Kafka in some ways. I'm a big fan of some of the other solutions that have been in the same boat. You know, it definitely could prevent prevent the issues that happen with like, Kubernetes, where Kubernetes now has been really sharded into millions of pieces. And there's, you know, 12 different companies that do the same basic thing, but they do it in a slightly different bend or the way Google compute implements Kubernetes versus the way Amazon does or the way Azure does, um, you know, causes uh, problems in the market and causes issues for supportability. So when you're talking about this licensing challenge, you know, what's, what's the role of our cloud providers and what should they be doing? I don't think this is going to stop the cloud providers from from providing the service. They will rewrite that that small layer. I mean, they're not touching Kafka. They're not touching enterprise pieces. They're really just touching the control plane. And that's probably the easiest piece to replace. So maybe it's a bit of a cry for help. They say it's not about the money. They say it's more about the, the principle of, of the responsibility of the cloud providers to contribute back to um, the community. And I think that's a very fair point. I don't think it's going to be a, a success for them in the end. Yeah, it, it's interesting, too, because you kind of run into the scenario where you know, what happens if they, you know, take your product and then they start making it like Aurora where they take the Postgres file layer and they basically rewrote it in a different way, completely eliminate a wall file component um, and really fundamentally change a, a key part of this application. And then that, that code doesn't get back to you and you can't sell that anywhere. Now they're, now they're a competitor and a partner. It's a bigger issue, right? It's just, it, I think it's, you've got open source code and you've got a bunch of people trying to make money off of that code. 
And I think that's cool. I think that drives competition and innovation. But if you're always taking and not giving back to that, what usually happens is there's nothing left to take after a while. And so I think all of the providers are smart. And I think they'll, in the long run, do the right thing, which may be to contribute back to these projects, whether it be, you know, Confluent or, you know, maybe it, it maybe they, they look and say, hey, you know, we're going to invest only in uh, extending open source projects with specific licenses. And we're, we're going to completely not spend any time enabling other, uh, other projects in, in running on our cloud infrastructure. We'll see. I wish Amazon actually would partner with these guys a little bit further. We're a big user of Elasticsearch and we love Elasticsearch, but there was, there was a lot of features missing in the Elasticsearch offering from AWS that you could get an enterprise product. And it w- wouldn't it be great if I could somehow license the enterprise product through the marketplace, but then still use, you know, the rest of the Elasticsearch hosted and managed by AWS. And, you know, there's definitely opportunities for them to do more partnership and to really start driving value uh, and helping these open source tools, right? And then it's a question of, you know, which, if Confluence divide, you know, building a service that really Amazon sees as a core principle of what the service should be, you know, do they replace that with their own code or do they say, look, we, we understand the limitation, but this is, you know, we're supporting our ecosystem and our partner network. Well, I mean, Amazon's been pretty consistent over the years of putting their customers first, you know, in front of partners, in front of vendors, in front of, uh, in front of everything, in, in front of even their own profit. I mean, if you look at uh, Amazon as a company and how little profit they've uh, been able to generate if you put aside AWS, you know, over the years. So uh, if their customers demand that uh, they work closely with those non-open source software providers or open source with a specific license. I bet, you know, I bet that would drive behavior over there. You know, these companies trying to sell you know, million dollar contracts and these large uh, enterprise deals, you know, protecting what they see as their proprietary versions of these solutions, right? Because you can go to Confluent SaaS offering or Confluent Cloud or something. I don't know the exact offering they have, but they, they have a cloud offering that they host and manage and care and feed for you and you don't have to do it yourself. And do they, you know, is is really what Amazon providing with like a managed Kafka the same thing as Confluent Cloud? And I don't know if that's actually the case. I mean, especially in the first version of, man, you know, MSK, as they're calling it, there's definitely a lot of features lacking and missing. And, and if you really have a robust roadmap and a, and a really good customer base that's you know excited about your product and you're kind of doing the right things, it seems like even as a company like Confluent, you could say ahead of it's the game. It's tough though, right? Because Confluent also is where they're running their hosted service on. They're running it on Amazon. So they're paying retail rates uh, for you know EC2 or whatever underlying native primitives they need to use to offer the service. And you know Amazon uh, is obviously making a margin on that from them. And uh, And now you look at, okay, how are they going to compete and what margins are they going to be able to make uh, to stay ahead of Amazon? It's tough to do. Yes, it depends where you are in the implementation. I mean, if if you're using Kafka and you need pro services to help you with Kafka itself, then you go to Confluent because the Amazon uh, managed Kafka, the, the support they'll provide you for that will be around managing the cluster, but not around uh, best use cases or implementation. So it's, it's if, I mean, it's uh, depending on the, the type of support you need, it will, will decide where you should go to to shop for that service, I think. So uh, Larry, uh, in a recent interview, stated that 
There's no way a normal person would move to AWS database solution. And this comes on, you know, top of Werner's keynote at reInvent, where he basically talked about his worst day ever at Amazon and, you know, how they've been moving off of over the last few years towards uh, a new Aurora database-backed data warehouse and solution there. So it's it's interesting that, you know, in this article, he said, you know, only person who's going to do this is Jeff Bezos and no one else is doing that. And that's, it's interesting to me because I, you know, Oracle as a database has been a really great database for a long time, and and even from the '90s, you know, it was it was a good database, and it's been evolving. But you know, their their sales process, <laughs> sales methodology has just made them such an evil company in so many people's eyes that I I'd actually be surprised if customers weren't moving off of Oracle. And you know, Larry's comment in this article about you know maintaining 50% market share in enterprise database, I I just don't know. I think he's I think he's missing that his customers are relatively unhappy uh, unless they're using his you know the apps and when they talk about their licensing and their their financials uh, in their last earnings call you know they talk about their cloud SaaS offerings being a major growth area and I, I think that's true you know if I'm buying NetSuite or I'm buying you know Fusion ERP or I'm buying Oracle's ERP solution as a hosted SaaS thing yeah sure because I don't have to worry about paying Oracle for the SQL database license. I only have to pay them for my per user cost. And I don't have to deal with Oracle. I don't deal with all the headaches. I don't have to deal with all that. That sounds fine. Uh, but if I'm you know, if I'm not getting that value on top of the Oracle database, I'm not sure that there's a lot of value there. Everything you said seemed to be uh, unsubstantiated. Though. I mean, he's claiming that people are going to give up reliability, security, and performance by switching to Amazon. And Clearly, that's not the case. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in general, ever since Larry came out and uh, stated that NoSQL will, uh, will, will never work, his statements and reality have been very, very loosely correlated. <laughs> I mean, he just says what he says. I, I remember that. I remember that. And then, like three months later, he explained how their NoSQL database will be better than anybody else's. Um, cloud was a fad, and then our cloud is the better cloud. So that guy just says says what he needs to say, I guess, to uh, appease his current shareholders. <laughs> and that doesn't really matter. He, he's like a he's a very uh, he's a he's a very large cloud uh, changed or, you know, or change denier until he realizes that he has to change and do something or else he's going to lose market share. Then he comes up with a product that sort of meets the requirements that they thinks are in the market space and says, "Yes, I have the best solution for this, the most secure solution for this." And, you know, and the reality is everyone's already gone off to Mongo or gone off to Amazon or gone off yeah. to anybody well, else. They've got, they got a thousand, uh, a thousand trial activations per month, though. It must be going well. I mean, there's no mention of real customers or paying customers, but trial activations. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I mean, we have customers all the time yeah. at, you know, wanting to move off of Oracle specifically for the license cost. What's keeping them there is not necessarily features that Oracle currently has. Um, that they couldn't live without, but the transformation costs just to get off of it. And it's just, you know, that's what's really holding them there. I feel that they've never moved on from the per core licensing model. I mean, it was great in a private data center 20 years ago, but now with, with, uh, with the massive machines and virtualization, the, the, the licensing model just, it just it's prohibitively expensive. Yeah, I mean, some of the things they do, especially like in a virtualized environment, they never really figured out how to do that properly. Um, you know, where if you can be motion a server between different nodes, that potentially might need to be licensed. And so there's there's a lot of things that they don't quite seem to have grasped the reality of the world changing underneath them. And 
you know, it's the reason why everyone kind of got freaked out when they bought Sun and what were they going to do to Java? What are they going to do to MySQL? And, and, you know, and so far it's been relatively okay. <laughs> uh, I know they are doing some stuff in the JVM space now that are starting to cause some people to think differently. And, you know, Amazon renounced their own version of Java uh, that you can now use as kind of their answer to protect themselves from Oracle getting more hostile. But, you know, it, it Larry Ellison had his day in the sun and, you know, in the nineties and that database made a lot of money and a lot of companies built their products on top of it. And now, you know, 20, 20 years later, I, don't, I just don't see it. I think he's, I think he's more in trouble than he's willing yeah, to. Yeah, I think he's going to focus on boat racing. The, the, yeah, the Cosio Mark heard. So the ERP has always been the largest segment of the enterprise applications business. I mean, always, always is the past, isn't it? It's no reflection of the future. You know, Jonathan and I worked at a prior company, a prior life, uh, and, you know, we were running Oracle Financials there. And, you know, it was really odd because I think it was Oracle Financials and the copyright was, uh, you know, 20 or 2009. And it was, you know, much later than that, <laughs> by about five or six years. And you're like, huh, I wonder why we haven't upgraded that. And, you know, the, the reality is the cost of upgrading that to the newer version of Oracle Financials and the newer, you know, newer database is very expensive. And so, you know, at the end of the day, that company continued to maintain their Oracle licenses and their Oracle stuff because it was cheaper to do that than it was to upgrade to the new version or to move off of that platform for their their business. And it's a very large business. So, all right, it's time for the lightning round. Uh, we're going to cover the quick news bites. Let's hand awesome. it over to Peter. All right, let's start with AWS Transit Gateway, now available in eight additional regions, Canada, London, Frankfurt, Paris, Tokyo, Singapore, Seoul, and Sydney. If only they could talk to each other. If only they'd uh, made it by reInvent. Next, um, EKS adds managed cluster updates uh, to Kubernetes uh, up to 1.11, current version, just 1.13. Well, I mean, I guess being only two versions behind the main release is better than six versions. Welcome to managed services. All right, uh, AWS Storage Gateway announces increased throughput new caching. This is cool. This is like S3FS on steroids. Their throughput's up to like a half a gig a second now. Works great until someone sticks something in the S3 bucket, not through the gateway. All right. New region for AWS in Sweden. They announced it back in April, but it's taken them eight months to assemble it with the IKEA instructions. <laughs> awesome. I'm thinking way cheaper cooling costs, but maybe higher taxes. All right. Next, uh, HashiCorp and Google announced increased partnership. Focusing on cloud provisioning, development of a Google cloud provider for Terraform, and enabling users to declare their GCP infrastructure as code. On cloud security and secrets management with enhanced integration between HashiCorp Vault and GCP. Oh, welcome to 2010. <laughs> wow, really Terraform? Are we on to something new? At least they're not building their own. Next. Um, Azure Backup Server now supports SQL 2017. Wait, I have to run a backup server in the cloud? That concludes our lightning round, gentlemen. And if you like listening to Jonathan, Peter, and I talk, then think about sponsoring us. Sponsoring us is fun. You can make us say very funny things. And you can support our cause, bringing you the latest Amazon, Azure, and Google news today, tomorrow, and in the future. We want to support our podcast with sponsorships over listener funding, and we need your help to get those sponsors in the door and helping us out. Come to our website at thecloudpod.net slash sponsor to get the latest information about sponsoring our podcast. And that's The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting, LastWeekinAWS.com, and The Cloud Pod. 
please rate us on iTunes or leave us feedback on our website, www.thecloudpod.net. Your feedback helps us improve the show. 